0: All my life, I've been a planner, writing down things I want to do, places I want to go, things I want to see, and trying to fulfill those things. And here here I am at 89, and it just isn't the same anymore. It is not the same, no matter how you try to rationalize it or anything else. So I decided that I had to have some future Mm -hmm. if I'm going to make anything, make it go, get up and go to work. So I've decided on 11 years, that's 100, we'll see where I go. From the studios of Kink Radio, it's the Portland 50, a podcast series about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland.
1: The Portland 50 series is brought to you by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. I'm your host, Peggy LaPoint. Today, I talk with Bob Moore. Bob and his wife, Charlie, founded Bob's Red Mill in Milwaukee in the late 1970s. Bob's Red Mill is now an employee-owned company, making and distributing more than 400 natural and organic products enjoyed around the world.
0: So I graduated from high school. The next day, I went down and joined the Army. Now, by joining the Army, I was able to pick what I wanted to do schools. I was going to go to and how training and different things. So I signed up and my father, I think was privately very pleased that I was not going to be around the house for a while because (laughs) I seemed to have the worst luck (laughs) of anybody in the neighborhood. And, uh, uh, my mother, of course, she cried and whatnot, but I was only 17, got down to the, where they brought us in I got my name called by a sergeant or something, you know, you're already getting used to this strictness of the military. Robert Moore. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir, yes, sir. You're only 17. I have to have your parents' signature on these papers. Well, here I am, miles and miles away from my home. I haven't got a nickel in my pocket. And they let me out the front door of the recruiting place because I'd gotten there on a bus. And I'm standing out there in the middle of nowhere, no money. I think somebody gave me a couple of bucks so I could get home. And I walk in the house, and my dad says, I thought you were going in the army. <laughs> <laughs> Mom's crying and putting her arms around me. And well, I need you to sign these papers. My mom said, You can think about this now. You don't have to go in, you know? And I said, No, Mom, I think this is the thing to do. <laughs> so I got into that, and I did very well in the service. I, I went to school. Uh, financial stuff was uh, my interest at that time. It isn't now, but I, for whatever reason. It was then. They did the the military uh, honored all my requests when I joined up. Uh, I was given nice responsibilities, and even in, asked to join and become an officer. Of which my dad talked me out of. I think I'd have made a pretty good <laughs> officer, but I didn't. I listened to my dad.
1: When did you meet Charlie then? Your I wife. came
0: back and I had uh, three years of college. Mm-hmm. My interests were electronics and stuff. And I had a real interest in that. So that, that's what I used my education for. And I got a job at a company called U.S. Electrical Motors. It was very close to my home. And it was a very nice company. It was a company that's probably run a lot like Bob's Red Mill, it was a, just a family were always good to their employees. They were certainly very good to me. I stayed with them for five years, and three years of that I went to school. And throughout all of that, uh, uh, I, I dated Charlie. She was, uh, well, there was people who thought we should meet, and so we got a blind date together, and, and uh, our relationship blossomed, and We'd been together for 60, 66 years. That was where well, we met. We went together for about a year and then got married. Her grandmother, on her mother's side, gave her some books by Adele Davis, Gaylord Hauser, and uh, um, the fellow that started uh, Prevention Magazine, uh, Robert, Robert Rodell. And uh, he lived a long life, partly, partly just like me, he ate pretty good food. And he, he wrote a, a um, uh, like a dictionary on health. I still have those books in my office that were given to her because her grandmother said, well, now you have three boys now, and you need to watch what you're eating and, and raise them right. And uh, she and I did not get along. I, I <laughs> thought she was an old fuddy-duddy. I can remember one event. And I drove Charlie and the boys, we may have only had two by that time, but whatever, up to her apartment and she got started on me. I smoked. Everybody smoked in the army. I don't I don't know anybody was in the army that didn't smoke. But anyway, I smoked. And she was always after me about that. I, I said, hm. I said to Charlie, I'm I'm gonna go down in the car and have a cigarette. <laughs> And I'll wait for you down there till you're done with all this. That was kind of mean on my part. Because she was, you know, a very strong lady. Right. And she was right and I was wrong, of course. And I did quit smoking. But uh, she gave Charlie these books. And uh, she didn't read them right away. She kept them with her. And when we got the farm, and that's a long way I got the Business, a right. gas station. We wanted to get out of LA because of the smog. There was just a lot of, you know, I could, we could, we'd be here for two days because, I mean, I lived a whole life. It's been sixty-five years, so I can't tell you. It takes sixty-five years to tell it, but um, anyway, uh, we ended up on this little five-acre dairy goat farm, and Charlie started to read these books, hmm. and she handed them to me. She said. We need to find a health food store. There was two in town, Elliot's. There's three Elliot's now. This has been, like, I don't know how many years ago, many, many years ago. Wow. And they have my stuff in uh, down their shelves. It's just so delightful. I, I be- bet I've that, been to see them. I bet and they were nice. the beginning of our, we, we didn't even know what whole grains were, and nice. we found out through Elliot's, who were, just had these little health food stores. Nice. At that time, they were kind of a narrow little store, and the, the only ladies worked in there, and they usually had a white smock kind of nurse-type thing, you know. It was quite a, an interesting, and it had a, this funny smell, the f- smell being whole grains. Right. Which all the wholeness of grains have been, had been taken out of in a grocery store. Nobody, Everything was white flour, white rice, wh- uh, de-germinated corn, all all the grains that are so healthy and and so wonderful— their fullness and they're so healthy for us. All that just—I don't know what they fed it to the pigs or something—and we we just got the the uh, endosperm and that's all. And it just is not enough to give us health. Uh, diabetes, uh, o- uh, obesity—who who knows what else? I'm not a doctor, but they certainly have traced a lot of things that a fuller fuller diet with all these ingredients in them, whole grains. That's yep. what we believe in, whole grains for every meal of the day. And, you know, I wasn't original. Here's the Dell Davis talking about this stuff, Gaylord Hauser, Prevention Magazine. I mean, these people, they're, they're talking the same thing I'm talking right now. Yeah. And it was a long time ago. I don't know when they started, but it was a long time ago. Charlie read it. I read it. And we just could not not change our life. She started baking bread and fixing cereals and things like that. And I somehow just had to find a way to make a living that way. Mm -hmm. But here I am in electronics and in automotive, which I'm very good at, selling. I'm not bad at it. I can sell tires and transmissions and you name it. The secret is to ask for the sale. (laughs) And that's what I tell my people all the time. Don't forget to ask for the sale. Anyway.
1: How did you become, because you, when you had this goat farm. You're not
0: asking enough questions. You know because that?
1: because I, I love listening to your stories. <laughs> honestly. Okay. Honestly, I, my questions are not necessarily well, as you good. You can
0: stop me anytime. I'm as not going to stop
1: you. Uh, when you had this goat farm and you and Charlie then were becoming more interested in eating whole grains and eating healthfully, how, how long between that point and when you started uh, Moore's flour mill?
0: Well, honestly, Peg, a long time because, yeah. gee, the boys were just uh, stair-step on the farm. We were reading these books that I just described to you. Charlie was taking me and going to the health food store, baking wonderful breads. The boys turned it around. We started growing lots of stuff on the farm. We had five acres, and it was mm-hmm. irrigated, and we, we grew a lot of stuff, too. It was nut- We had chickens. We had...
1: You sold eggs and milk, too.
0: Incredible whole life that we enjoyed. The landlord would not sell me that property, so with no hope of owning it. I guess it was just the good Lord reminding me that you needed to move on Mm because this was not permanent. Right. But the food part, the philosophy of eating and all that kind of stuff, this whole grain was definitely a part of our life and it's been part of my life right right today this morning I had steel cut oats my own for breakfast wonderful
1: I had I had your quick oats this morning oh, good good for you. <laughs> I was going through my cupboard last night to find to write down all the products that we have currently of yours we have the quick cook oats my husband loves the steel cut oats whole wheat flour pancake mix and cornbread mix <laughs> Uh, so we well,
0: I assure you that <laughs> none of that has been degerminated, or the bran layer has been taken off. It's all there,
1: and it's all good. Yes, it's all yes, good. Yes. Well, you had the the Morris Flour Mill then in Reading, and you. Uh,
0: well, let me. You mind if I kind of get absolutely, there? Absolutely, get I'll, there. I'll make it quick. Okay. No worries. You, uh, when the farm just really gave us this, but I did not have any kind of of a uh, solution to what my life was. I'm still a mechanic. I've, I've got a Firestone store. By this time, I'm managing an entire Firestone store mm-hmm. just like they have now. They sell tires and all that, mechanics and things, brakes and stuff. And while I was doing that, I was also taking care of uh, a particular person's car at the at the J.C. Penny company. And uh, the fellow liked me. And he says, you're a pennies man. J.C. Penny." They've got, principles and they like to treat their people right and you need to work for pennies and we're building auto centers mm-hmm. all over the country and i can get one for you i mean it was you know, love affair yeah <laughs> what can i say <laughs> he sent me off to santa cruz they had just opened one and unfortunately they had just hired somebody for that mm-hmm. and he didn't know that when he sent me over there and I got there, and they. And it was a long drive. I had to take two days. And they told me, well, you know, we, there's no, not, no point in interviewing you because we already have somebody for this job. So when I came back, Joe, his name was. He's, he was just sick about it. And so he rummaged around and found that they were going to uh, put him one in in Redding, California. And I think I was pretty much of a shoe in up there because he felt so bad he was a <laughs> store manager so he's pretty high up in the pennies so when I got there I, I really had a sense that that they liked me before I walked in the door <laughs> <laughs> and it's so strange because we took the boys with us took our dog Patty and drove up to Reading. it's a long drive it's about I don't know a couple hundred miles and we got there and and, and Charlie said well I'll walk around the neighborhood and I went to the main Penny's store to interview for the job. Mm-hmm. And I got the job. I mean, they uh, they almost hired me on the spot. And I was plenty qualified, I, uh, you know. And when I finally went looking for Charlie, she says, and I told her, I said, Hun, I got the job. They're going to put me here in charge of this whole auto center. She said, I got a house. <laughs> You know, it's wonderful when things go together like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a, a house that was about four blocks down from where the auto center was. And it was uh, being refurbished to either sell or rent. Mm-hmm. And when she walked in, and I can't believe to this day, the landlord, when he saw her with three boys and a dog. <laughs> 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 That's something about... Charlie <laughs> made this guy like her, and uh, uh, he was a good landlord, and we never did anything to his house that was inappropriate. <laughs> so we, And we lived there several years until we could build a house for our own because the, the Penny's job turned out to be very nice. Well, one day I went into the, the uh, library in uh, Reading.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I, I'm an avid reader. And laying on one of the library tables was John Goffey's Mill, a delightful book. Uh, Probably out of print now, but I have a lot of copies of it. (laughs) The the ladies keep going in on the line and finding (laughs) older copies and bringing them in. Because everybody wants to read it. It's a delightful story. This fellow inherits, gets a letter in the mail, you've inherited John Goffey's Mill. Why? Because he is at Goffey. His name is... George Woodbury, but his mother's name was Goffey. He gets a letter in the mail that says, you have inherited 400 acres in Bedford, New Hampshire. It's got a mill on it, an old mill, not running, a dam, old millstones, a creek running through it. But what, I mean, wouldn't you go see what it was? Well, that's what he did. The story of the book is delightful. He was a very good writer, very humorous, delightful, I just assume everything is true. And he got this old mill going, and he makes a statement. Got the millstones going. He said, people beat a pathway to his door to get that whole grain that nobody else had. Right. He was 1950, 1960s, about 10 years. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, oh, i got to get a farm around.
1: Well, you were already eating healthy and yeah, looking for whole grains. I knew
0: exactly what he was talking
1: Absolutely. about. Absolutely.
0: It just went together, and I thought, well, there's the solution. I need to find a flour mill. There must be hundreds of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there wasn't. But I did find, through the help of another gentleman who did have a flour mill, a mill in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and they were going to tear the mill out. They had to tear the mill out because they were on the lot. They were going to build a shopping center or something. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they're just going to obliterate it. So I got the millstones, the bucket elevators, the grain cleaners. I got all this stuff almost for nothing. They just kind of wanted to find somebody to take it. And through uh, I, we had a, f- a few dollars, and we uh, worked through this gentleman who got all that stuff out of there and into a trailer and got, us, got it out from Fayetteville, North Carolina, to Redding, California. Mm-hmm. And we put it in a building. Morris Farm Mill. Now, that's where my story starts. That's where you're. Now you can go back and kick all that out if (laughs) you want. Now we've got a garage full of all this stuff, and we're looking for some something that looks like a mill that we can put this stuff in. We don't have that. We never did. Well, we did eventually, but we rented a Quonset hut, an old military kind of a building. I guess I think back now, as unlike a mill as it could possibly be. (laughs) But you know, we put those millstones in there. Mm -hmm. We kind of cut the building in half with a wall with windows across it. People could walk in and they could see the mills. We had two. I think we ended up with three, actually. Anyway, two mills. And we ground fresh just as they walked in. You you want cornmeal? We'll make you cornmeal. And uh, we got pretty good at it. Hmm. The first I have still, the first though, we put them in mason jars. The first flour, the first cornmeal, you know, first rye. It was delighted. It was, I can still feel the emotion of all that stuff because now I'm experiencing these things. We were very pleased. Very pleased, and we had about five years of mm-hmm. we we that we grew out of that crazy quantity almost immediately, and within a year or so was only three parking places, and uh, I don't know. It's just all crazy. Mm-hmm. So we found a bigger building because we had more confidence in what we were doing, and I had given Penny's notice. I stayed with Penny's. Mm-hmm. Two of our boys, our oldest, Ken and Bob, our two oldest boys, pitched in with us. Our our wives all worked packaging and selling in the little store and everything. It was just Wonderful. I have ads from all that. Everything. It's it's been a great memory, but you know it wasn't Redding's eighteen thousand people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, small. We time. did all right. Right. It's one hundred and fifty thousand, I think now. Bob's still there.
1: Were you distributing to other areas? Uh, at the
0: time, a little, but not yeah, much. Not much. It was mostly retail. We had okay. a pretty good sized store. The second time that we we, we got to build a larger area. And Bob's just leaving that now. He mm-hmm. just built a whole new mill wow, and on his own property, 10 acres and stuff. And he's doing fine. Yeah. He's, he's doing fine. But I broke away and came to Portland. It was one of my other things I wanted to do in life more than anything. You know how things get caught in your, in your craw and you just have to do something. Mm-hmm. I wanted to learn to read the Bible in the original language. Hebrew, the Old Testament, and Koine Greek, the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It meant a lot to me. It became a thing. And the kids were grown. We're all working together. I had some retirement from pennies.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it was an appropriate time. We came up here to Portland, Oregon. There were four or five seminaries, and they would take us. Mm-hmm. And whatnot, without my being a minister or anything like that. So we enrolled in uh, Western Evangelical Seminary, which is not there now. It's part of George Fox. Okay, right. Now, it happened to be (laughs) six blocks from an old mill. Now we're back in the, (laughs) and and there's no. I promise you, if there's anything sincere about anything I'm saying, my coming up to portland to go into business in the milling business was absolutely not as even far on your from radar. my mind is yep. i had dismissed it completely what was i going to do if i learned to read the bible in the original languages I, I really don't know i was you know i i just it it just it was just something i had to do
1: well you were in effect retired and it was just something way, that you yeah. wanted to do yeah. next
0: well i probably as I look back on it now, especially the way I spend money now, I probably uh, had five years of living, and then I'd be out on the street someplace <laughs> looking for work again. But I for some reason or another, I just uh, this all I can say is this is what I did. Yeah, So we didn't see the mill for a while, you know we were here. We went to school uh, as retired people. Uh, with a bunch of kids around trying to learn the Bible and and learn the languages and stuff, I had all the time in the world. I'd go to class, come home, study again, and then I finally took on uh, tutoring because there was some students that were struggling a little bit more. And I said, "Well, if you'd let me have a room at night there over there at the seminary, why well, I could uh, I could go over the classes with, mm-hmm. with these young people and help them get it better," and I did. So I was pretty occupied with all this. I was quite fascinated with all this. But we did a lot of walking. Charlie and I had our, our uh, verbs, and nouns written on little f- three-by-five cards, and we walked around the neighborhood mm-hmm. uh, trying to learn what things meant and put them in the right perspective and do all that stuff. And one day, I don't know, six months, maybe a little longer, we walked down. Risley, and there is an old flour mill. It's got a for sale site on
1: it. Was that in Oregon City?
0: Well, it really wasn't in any town. No. But there oh. it was. I mean, I have all you know on radio. It's kind. Of, you just have to kind of picture this. But there was an old mill, mm-hmm. and it had been derelict for some twenty-five years. Wow. The railroad used to go through there,
2: mm-hmm.
0: almost on the same pathway that they have taken the the new light rail. To Milwaukee. Through Milwaukee, right? Yeah, and um, they took it out in 1957, and so it, that's how they got their grains and got it. It was out, kind of isolated. Right. It, that went to uh, to Oregon City, and I think uh, down further down south, I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. anyway, they, they took it out. No more railroad. Now we're putting it back. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, the owners couldn't get grain, you know, wheat, rye, and and, uh, corn and stuff. So they just shut it down.
1: You're listening to King's Portland 50 Series. I'll continue my conversation with Bob Moore in a moment, but I wanted to thank our sponsor. The Portland 50 Series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland. One company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950. Now back to my conversation with Bob Moore. Bob and his wife Charlie founded Bob's Red Mill in Milwaukee in the late 1970s. Bob's Red Mill is now an employee-owned company, making and distributing more than 400 natural and organic products enjoyed around the world.
0: They had a for sale sign-up. And I can still remember Charlie and I walking together up the steps, looking in. I said, "Hun, bucket elevators, grain cleaners. I said, this is an old mill. I can't believe it. <laughs> and it's for sale. And there's a phone number. She says, well, I th- I thought we were going to learn to read the Bible <laughs> in the original... <laughs> we It was a sweet uh, conversation, but I really, I don't think I could help myself. Right. You know, I I don't want to go back and castigate myself for not being very serious about anything I did because I was very serious about everything I did. <laughs> and I called, got a hold of the owner of the property, and he said, what property are you talking about? <laughs> that old mill. Oh, the old mill. He said, yeah, he says, we're going to tear the building down. We think the property's worth more without the building on it. It was about two acres. <laughs> I said, you're you going to tear the mill down? I ended up buying
1: it. Yeah, and all the property? Yeah. Yeah. What was Charlie's reaction to that? Well,
0: she was such a good sport,
1: so yeah. sweet.
0: And we grad, we stayed in school for quite a while, mm-hmm. probably a year altogether. But we, the mill was... I, I hadn't been there two weeks after all... You know, it took us... I gave myself three months to the day to get got the mill going. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of students. They came over and they helped me clean it. Uh, we got it going. We opened up. And within two weeks, I had Kathy Smith, of who was the news lady, yeah. Channel 2 at that time. She came out with a cameraman. And the next thing I know, that night or next night, here I am on the evening news <laughs> it's just <laughs> astounding And we didn't do any advertising down in the Redding area. All of, like folks like yourself they they were curious and they brought their their recording machines with them and <laughs> their cameras and they did things and and I enjoyed it too it was very it was delightful and and Fred Meyer came out
2: oh, and when yeah.
0: he saw the products we had, He said, I want those products in my stores. Now, Fred was building this just before he died. Fred was building uh, health food stores of his own. Mm -hmm. They were not part of the store. They were adjoining the store in the same area, the same lot. And he had 44 stores, 44 one-stop shopping centers, I think he called them. Mm -hmm. And he wanted my stuff. And I told him, I said, I don't want to work. I was doing all right. I was enjoying my life. And then I said, well, uh, I guess, why don't you check with me in a couple of months? I'll think about it. And he sent his buyer back, um, uh, Ron Johnson, Mm -hmm. who is at this time now uh, vice president in charge of the nutrition centers, which were just starting.
1: And I think this is in the late 70s when this happened. Yeah, it was yeah.
0: 78 or 79.
1: So. Well, and it was Fred Meyer that I first started seeing your products. Yeah, that's, uh, that's and, just right. and buying your products. Yeah. And they sell it in bulk too. Yeah, because he
0: that's a, he's still my best customer.
1: Absolutely. It's
0: amazing. And they're part of Kroger's and yep. Kroger's learned from Fred Meyer and kind of propagated all this whole grain through their group all yeah. over the country. They have a 2,000
1: or so. Yeah, they've got a lot.
0: i I got a lot to be thankful for.
1: What made you change your mind about uh, uh, supplying Fred Meyer?
0: (laughs) Oh, I don't know. (laughs) You know, when you think about Dad and I talking about being in business together, we never did talk about Dad and I. Dad had, uh, he smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. Wow. 49 years old. Now, we were talking about business.
2: Right.
0: But he had a job. And one day he was up in San Francisco, on a selling mission for the uh, what's the name of it? Well, i not. It's not really important. And uh, forty nine years old, got out his, of his car, mm-hmm. and just dropped dead. The doctor told me that he was dead before he hit the ground. He had a massive wow. heart attack. He smoked. He he thought three packs of cigarettes a day was not bad at all wow I can remember him at five o'clock in the house saying well up oh, number three you know and opening it up and whatnot
1: that had to leave an impression well so, that made a he-
0: deep impression on yeah. me I don't I, I can't say that tobacco is in my favorite <laughs> <laughs> weed <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm afraid that I, I have a very dim view of of all that, and you know, I used to have colds and and uh, pneumonia every year and stuff. And I smoked, you know, I smoked 14 years, oh. and uh, then I, especially after Dad died, because I mean, it was so obvious what his mm-hmm. 49. I have a picture in my office of my father that was taken in his 49th year, and I he he looks like a kid. Oh it's terrible. Anyway, that's what happened to him. Mhm. And I sure didn't it it just devastated me. I guess I'm still kind of halfway devastated. I don't know he'd been dead by now, but anyway. And he had you know, it was terrible. Anyway, that's uh, that was laying over the fact that I went into business with the boys and that was a little more difficult than I thought it would be. Now I'm in business for myself and and um not my dad. Yeah. But I'm doing really well. And you're Mr
1: not, You're not doing bad
0: the the Fred Meyer event was really <laughs> really great. And I really I think I just kinda grown since then. I haven't been able to back out of it. And I hired wonderful people. It's everything is is being able to find people that you can trust yeah. and that will do the job. And you can, and, and and they just, it's wonderful. And so what you're doing in a way is making opportunities for others. And, uh, and and I think that's what Bob's Red Mill has done, even though all these little mechanical things about how we got the mills and, and how we got started and all that kind of stuff is all kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But underlying all of this is we kept adding people, adding people. One of the things I did after, three years of being in business here in p- Portland and and having the Fred Meyer account is my profitability was such that I wanted to share it with my employees. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to now. Profitab- profit is what's yours if you own the company and I did. And so I started giving a portion up about a, about between a quarter and a third of the profits I gave back to my employees every month, and I've been doing that now for 28 years. Well, that's just a side pocket deal besides the ESOP, which is employee stock ownership. That's what that I was going to bring up. They they own right now. They own two thirds of the company.
1: Yep, that's what I was going to bring up. You, yeah. uh, in 2010, I think it was. Yes. Uh, did that on your 81st birthday. You announced. I did. It. I gave you one gave...
0: third of the company.
1: Yeah. to The employees. And that was big news. Uh, I've been in Portland long enough. Yeah. Uh, that was big news when that happened, and it endeared you to the community in ways uh, that I think are still being felt. I mean, p- well, your customers saw that. and
0: Every single person that worked for me yeah. owned a part of the company, and those that have retired received their share in the form of, well, cash, which they, most cases, put into like a 401k mm-hmm. for their retirement. And uh, uh, it's been a wonderful thing.
1: You'd been thinking about doing that for a while. Yeah. And it was because well, there's, you. There's had part faith? of the
0: Bible: "Doing to others yeah. as you would have others doing to you," um, and others scriptures that that I felt that I needed to try this.
2: Yeah.
0: You're not never going to know how you feel about it, what kind of response you're going to get. Until you try it. Mm -hmm. Giving something away without any remuneration for it has a special place in human um, uh, feelings and stuff. And I, I have a very nice dose of it. Very nice dose of it. It doesn't bother me at all. I love it. And the more I give away... It's crazy. It, it's, I I don't want to recommend people doing that because you're going to get rich if you do because you might give all your money away and wish you had it back. It just doesn't happen to be the way it worked with me. And mm-hmm. It hasn't worked that way right today.
1: And you are 89 now. Yeah. Uh, going for 100.
0: Uh, Is that okay? Shoot
1: for the stars. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I, I, I made that up just the other day. I thought I can't. When you get to be my age, you, you, you don't have anything to look to. It's crazy. Yeah. And all your life, all my life, I've been a planner, writing down things I want to do, places I want to go, things I want to see, and trying to fulfill those things. And here, here I am at 89, and it just isn't the same anymore. It is not the same, no matter how you try to rationalize it or anything else. So I decided that I had to have some future. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to make anything, make it go, get up and go to work. So I've decided on 11 years, that's hundred. Now we'll see where I go with
1: it.: And where do you where would you like to go? Oh I,
0: as far as doing things,
1: As far as both business and I don't recreation,
0: know. I keep doing it. Well, I really would like to make it possible for every bun in the world to have whole grain foods for every meal of the day. Quit eating white rice, brown rice, quit eating white flour, whole wheat flour. Uh, there's just a multitude of, of, of things. Salt, sugar, fat. There's a book by Michael Moss. Great book. He, he, he came here and gave a talk on it in one of the auditoriums. And the, the whole idea of life, of health, is, I think, predicated on knowing what it is that's healthy for you to eat and ways of living. And what we need to learn is that it doesn't make any difference what you like. It doesn't make any difference what your kids like. It doesn't make any difference what your husband likes. For your health, there's certain basic things you need to know, follow, mm-hmm. if you want to be healthy. And abandon the idea that I like this. And the way to lose weight is to uh, get a hamburger, at McDonald's and cut a piece of it out that's not the way because the whole thing is not worth mm-hmm. even buying whole grain foods for every meal of the day should be a basis of a diet and if you've got problems with allergies there's there's so many wonderful things classified as greens that are not an allergy to you or someone else who may have problems so there's, there's plenty of room to move around you must obey the common sense of what it is that will give you health. And salt, sugar, fat are all the things that your body just craves. And the industry, the food industry just knows it. They live by it and they have destroyed the health of, unfortunately, of our country and, and, and other countries by carrying pop and lousy fried foods, and especially deep fat fried, which is probably the worst thing in the world for anybody. And because it has such a hold on us, boy, oh boy, you reach the bliss point almost immediately with some of that stuff. It becomes French addictive. French fries, Absolutely. lots of salt. It makes no difference what you like. If you want health, you need to turn that around. You need to look at the reality of what it is that you need to eat for health and if that's if you want health that's what you have to do and the rest of my life if i could just in some practical way put that into short bursts of some sort to make it convincing and 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 viable for the people who i come across and who want to read it now i've i've given quite a bit of money to OHSU and up there. They've established the Moore Institute and there's some different things going on, uh, for, uh, gut health, which is Im- for, for, proper gut health, uh, whole grains are just imperative.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I've been giving out a very short pamphlet that is just right to the point about the value and the need for whole grains. And, uh, they're working on an extended um, eighty-page, I think, unit, and and then a book on beyond that. And I'm hoping that I can give millions of these books away. Uh, it's just a goal in my life, um, and I, I'm working on it. I mean, it's not that it's it's a dead issue with me. I'm actually working on it uh, with a publisher mm-hmm. and uh, whatnot. And I have money set aside, personal money set aside, that makes it possible for me to bring this to fruition. But it isn't there yet, so I I, I can I haven't got too much to tell. But well, I was going to ask
1: you if you were going to write a book. <laughs> well, and there of you course, go. my
0: my book I did not write. Right. Uh, uh, People before profit is philosophically uh, and. Accurately, I think, uh, the story of my life. Yeah. And it covers most of what we're talking about today, but I think I've gone beyond that because the book was s- several years ago. And I sat with uh, Ken Koopman, a mm-hmm. uh, delightful fellow. He, he wanted to write a book. And so I met him every morning in the beginning uh, for breakfast, steel-cut oats, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in my office, Three mornings a week, and then it gradually uh, tapered because he interviewed my family, went down to California, interviewed my employees. The book's pretty; he did a pretty good job on it. Kind of boring for me to read. <laughs> other people have told me that they liked it.
1: So. so you just came back from a trade show, yeah. and you go into work every day, don't yes, you? Yes, I do.
0: I get up at six every morning. Yeah. And I go to the store and uh, generally uh, have uh, one of the cereals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What's your favorite?
0: Oh, I had steel-cut oats this morning. But, you know, I, it's hard for me to really – that's probably one of the most common questions I get <laughs> asked. I, I created a 10-grain cereal many years ago, and if you are not afraid to cook it a while, yeah, you can't overcook it. it it's the best food. Probably the best overall food that is is on this earth. Ten grains, and and we, we make those right there at the mill all the time. We got several mills that are, are are cutting those the wheat and the corn and the rye and the and the barley and the uh, and the oats and and the rice and all all whole grain. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 just got to be the most healthy food that can I think anybody can eat. And I guess that says to you, you know, I'm I'm trying to sell you something. I eat it, so therefore, if you don't eat it, there's just more for me. (laughs) But I do think that everyone should give it a try and see if they like it. But they can't be in a hurry. This whole thing about trying to make some kind of food where you can grab, you can sleep late, get up late, throw your clothes on and run through the kitchen and get something that you can eat on the way to work. It's the stupidest way to eat in the whole world. And I used to give talks all over, and I had this cute little alarm clock that had the two bells on the top, and I'd bring it and set it in front of me and say nothing about it till I got to this point in my talk. Then I'd say something like, you wonder about this clock. I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to be able to implement anything I've been telling you, you're going to have to do something like I'm going to show you what to do. On the back of every clock, you can take it and you can turn it back 10, 15 minutes. Just do that. Give yourself a chance to do something right. Cook it. Eat it. Take your time. Live longer. Feel better. Be healthier it's it's just that easy and if you're going to keep running all the time and you're going to try to keep cutting everything short finding something that digests quickly and all this business you you're just you're going to it's you're going to have to give something up
1: so one day i had my i was at work and i asked my husband to make some brown rice we have a rice cooker right and i keep them cuz i buy in bulk so i keep them in glass jars old peanut butter jars in my cupboard wonderful and uh I came home and I looked in the rice cooker and I said, Why are you cooking oatmeal? Ah. He had put your steel cut oats in the rice cooker. Wonderful. And not the rice. So now,
0: yeah.
1: our rice cooker yeah. is our steel cut oats cooker.
0: Let me tell you what happened to me one time. <laughs> There's another story, <laughs> just kind of like it. There used to be a show here in, in, in town called uh, uh, Now You're Cooking Show. Or, mm-hmm. no, let's see, what was it? Oh, I don't know. Something, anyway. It was at the auditorium. And we always had a booth there. It was always at Christmas time. I don't know why they quit that thing. It was a lot of fun. We wanted to demonstrate stuff, so we put our 10-grain cereal and our steel cut oats, and we had them in uh, Crock-Pot. Well, we brought those to our booth and put them there. And we had these little cups, and we passed out these little samples of this stuff, hot. Yeah. And we had to keep adding water because, you know, it kind of burns up the water. And the, as the day went on, the 10-grain cereal got better and better. And then in the afternoon, about 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, somebody said, well, don't you think we ought to throw this out? I said, no. Add some more water to it. It got better. Yeah. Longer you cook it. I think it was like the barley. It's so hard yeah. that you, you don't even taste it. Now your body probably does something with it when it gets inside you. Right. But. You don't have that that delightful flavor that's there until you cook it a long time. It releases it. It released the flavor in in all the 10 different grains that were in there. And some of them, the longer you leave them in there, the better they taste. Mm -hmm. And so we learned that you cannot overcook 10-grain cereal. And uh, you can just do it however you want. Uh, And I'm speaking really more of its flavor and, yeah. and its delight, the delight of eating it. Boy, this is good. But you can't get that by cooking it 10 minutes, even though that's what it says on the package. Right. So. And you,
1: he'll often leave it soaking overnight and then cook it. You can, the and th- yep.
0: That's exactly how yeah. you can do There's so many tricks to the trade. Absolutely. So many tricks. And, and you're right, cause, uh, soaking it. Uh, and you can p- even put it in a microwave. And so there's so many ways that you can have really, really healthy food and still run out your door. Absolutely. So I I don't know what's the matter with people. It's the salt, sugar, fat. And when you read uh, Michael's book, you can just see how you've been so manipulated. He does a great job. Mm -hmm. of, And it's still in print because I asked you to check it yesterday because I knew I wanted to talk to you about it So good book I'm not I don't make anything on the book I just think he's got some good points
1: well Bob I want to thank you for coming in yeah congratulations on your wedding anniversary thank you and a hundred and beyond
0: no I give it a try (laughs) I haven't haven't any other way to go (laughs) Peg it's it's just been a pleasure thank you I've never had a nicer interview I
1: appreciate it thank you for joining me for my conversation with Bob Moore If you've missed any of the previous podcasts, you can find them at our website at kink.fm. Be sure to like and subscribe to the Portland 50 podcast wherever you're listening. The Portland 50 is a podcast series celebrating Kink's 50th anniversary, and it's about the people who dreamt, built, and championed the innovation, growth, and uniqueness of Portland. The series is presented by Jaguar Land Rover Portland, one company, two iconic brands. Jaguar Land Rover Portland is a Don Rasmussen company, the legendary Portland institution serving our community since 1950.